must give myself credit for a little sense on one occasion at least, and it was a serious occasion too. A crisis in my life, a crisis when I stood watching my dreams and my plans for the future and the work of years vanish into thin air. It happened like this. In my early thirties, I had decided to spend my life writing novels. I was going to be a second Frank Morris or Jack London or Thomas Hardy. I was so in earnest that I spent two years in Europe, where I could live cheaply with dollars during the period of wild printing press money that followed the First World War. I spent two years there, writing my magnum opus. I called it The Blizzard. The title was a natural, for the reception it got among publishers was as cold as any blizzard that ever howled across the plains of the Dakotas. And my literary agent told me it was worthless, that I had no gift, no talent for fiction. My heart almost stopped. I left his office in a daze. I couldn't have been more stunned if he had hit me across the head with a club. I was stupefied. I realized that I was standing at the crossroads of life and had to make a tremendous decision. What should I do? Which way should I turn? Weeks passed before I came out of the days. At that time, I had never heard of the phrase, put a stop-loss order on no worries. But as I look back now, I can see that I did just that. I wrote off my two years of sweating over that novel for just what they were worth. A noble experiment, and went forward from there. I returned to my work of organizing and teaching adult education classes and wrote biographies in my spare time. Biographies and nonfiction books such as the one you are listening to right now. Am I glad now that I made that decision? Glad? Every time I think about it, now I feel like dancing in the street for sheer joy. I can honestly say that I have never spent a day or an hour since lamenting the fact that I am not another Thomas Hardy. One night a century ago, when a screech owl was screeching in the woods along the shores of Walden Pond, Henry Thoreau dipped his goose quill into his homemade ink and wrote in his diary, The cost of a thing is the amount of what I call life, which is required to be exchanged for it immediately or in the long run. To put it another way, you're fools when we overpay for a thing in terms of what it takes out of our very existence. Yet that is precisely what Gilbert and Sullivan did. They knew how to create gay words and gay music, but they knew distressingly little about how to create gaiety in their own lives. They created some of the loveliest light operas that ever delighted the world. Patience, Pinafore, the Mikado, but they couldn't control their tempers. They embittered their ears over nothing more than the price of a carpet. Sullivan ordered a new carpet for the theater they had bought. When Gilbert saw the bill, he hit the roof. They battled it out in court and never spoke to one another again as long as they lived. When Sullivan wrote music for a new production, he mailed it to Gilbert, and when Gilbert wrote the words, he mailed them back to Sullivan. Once they had to take a curtain call together, but they stood on opposite sides of the stage and bowed in different directions, so they wouldn't see one another. They hadn't the sense to put a stop-loss order on their resentments as Lincoln did, 